you will, open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we began looking at this text last week. We're going to take a second look today and even possibly a third look uh, on next week. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter in, uh, in just a moment. Uh, we looked last week at the reality that the Bible speaks to us and tells us uh, how uh, the church is to be structured uh, and organized, that the Bible recognizes uh, two offices within uh, the church. Uh, last week we looked at deacons and we recognized those men that have agreed to serve as deacons here at North Clay and we uh, looked at the qualifications and something of uh, the duties that deacons are to carry out. Uh, today we want to look at the second of uh, the two offices that the New Testament prescribes for the New Testament uh, church. Uh, we'll speak uh, regarding elders. Now again, uh, historically speaking, uh, the idea of elders in the Baptist church was not uh, uh, an unusual concept. Uh, in my lifetime, the person that stands where I do on given Sundays uh, uh, was rightly referred to as the pastor, or usually we called him the preacher. And so uh, all of those uh, terms are, are fine. We're going to talk about uh, the different terms the Bible uses to speak of uh, this place of leadership uh, for the New Testament church. And if the church is to function properly, is to carry out its mission, if the the people of the church are to be cared for properly. Uh, it will be uh, because uh, these two offices are functioning uh, within uh, the life of a given local congregation. And so let's look at the second part of this uh, uh, text uh, related to leading uh, the people of God. Let's read beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon. But I, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, 
which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Pray with me if you will. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth, for the gospel of your son Jesus Christ, for his work on the cross on our behalf. We pray today that your spirit that inspired this text would be at work in and among us today, giving us clarity of thought, understanding, and application of your word uh, to each of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We can see, certainly in the book of Acts, we see as Paul writes to his young ministerial associate, uh, Timothy, who had been left behind in the city of Ephesus uh, to lead that church and to establish that church in truth, that there was a a concern for the the structure and the leadership of the fledging uh, New Testament church, that the, the... One of the primary concerns was that the truth of the gospel, uh, the doctrine of Jesus Christ uh, uh, who came as uh, the, the, the son of Mary, born of a virgin, living the perfect life, dying the the atoning death on the cross and being raised from the dead on the third day and ascending to the Father one day to return for his people, that those truths be preserved and they be taught with all integrity. And so uh, the apostolic leaders saw it wise for for the church to be able to recognize men among them that would preserve that apostolic tradition and and teach that tradition to the church as it was written by these apostles and a few other of their associates. And so it's important today for us to understand how the the church is to to be ordered important for us to recognize what the church is and what the church is not. And again, uh, I think Baptists uh, have it largely right when we think of the church as a, a recognized body of those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and been baptized uh, by immersion and have pledged their lives uh, to follow him. Again, the term is regenerate church membership, which again I think is largely being lost in uh, Baptist life today. The idea that uh, our church roles would mirror uh, that of the the Lamb's Book of Life, that those who uh, are members of our church are truly uh, born of the Spirit of God. And so it is that believing church uh, that's capable of recognizing uh, those who are outstanding among them. Uh, to serve in this role of servant leader as a deacon, and then as those who would serve as elders, who would proclaim and rightly divide uh, the Word of God for them. I want to go back to where we ended up last week. And uh, uh, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and while it is debated among pastors and commentators as to whether these men that were selected uh, by the apostles, uh, whether these seven men could be rightly called the first deacons, they certainly establish a pattern that seems to inform us as to how there is to be a distinction 
uh, between those who lead and preach and teach and those who serve in the variety of functions uh, within uh, the church. And so we're told here in this uh, early church, there in Jerusalem, being led by the apostles, that it was growing, that it evidently was increasingly multicultural as there were uh, Hellenists and there were uh, Hebrews there, and that uh, there was a complaint among uh, the uh, Hellenist widows that they were not rightly receiving uh, ministry uh, that was being given out there in the church. And so the 12 disciples there in verse 2, they, they deliberated and they discerned that it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, the most important thing that I do, the most important thing that any pastor does, that any elder does, is to preach the Word of God. There's so many things that happen in this dimension. I said it this morning in Sunday school. You are going to encounter all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of adversities in your life. Uh, and I may or may not be there. You may not want me there. Uh, sometimes there are things that we suffer that we simply want to go through alone, that we just need some space to, to sort out things. Sometimes you want wise counsel. Sometimes you want someone to hold your hand and hug your neck or whatever the case may be. But the point is the most important thing that you can discern is how should I see and how should I understand the circumstances of my life in view of the Word of God? That is, how do I look at my life through the lens of Scripture? How do I look at it when I, I'm challenged in my finances? How do I look at my life when I'm challenged in, in the realm of relationships? How do I look at my life when my health or the health of those I love is threatened? And so we've spoken to those things many times over, over the years to see all of life through a biblical prism. That's important. That's what we do when we gather. That's one of the aspects of preaching. And so you want someone that will give the appropriate time and, and effort and, and sobriety to the proclamation of the Word of God. In this case, it was the apostles. And we want to make a clear distinction between an apostle and an elder, okay? I am an elder in many ways, I guess. I am an elder. I'm not an apostle, other than in the most generic sense that all of us are what? Sent ones. An apostle is a sent one. But in that sense of the original 12, I do not have apostolic authority. I, I do not have the ability to work miracles or anything like that. Now, their decision was to pick out from among the con congregation seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So we're going to we're going to we're going to make a distinction. We're going to designate that the leadership of the church, the apostles, are going to preach and teach the word. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer, and there's going to be another group of men that seemingly have the same character. They're filled with the same spirit. They have the same work ethic, but their assignment is going to be to, to do ministry within the church and deal with a lot of the issues that, that come up with the church, with the disputes that arise 
within the congregation. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, as I say, you can argue, debate, whatever you want to do. Again, we're talking about what the apostles determined they would do. But I believe this assignment of being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word is the assignment that biblically is mandated for the elders or the elders. Okay? Is everybody following me? The important thing that I want you to see is the distinction between the two offices. And if you get them all whopper-jawed and confused, as I, uh, 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 the, one of the most dysfunctional uh, things that can happen within a church is for the deacons to determine they're the, the, the uh, board of directors. And, you know, try, and, and they try to, to rule the church uh, when the elders should be doing that. Okay, it's, it's a big mess, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. Okay, and so notice verse 7. We know God did great things in the early church. He's still doing great things in his church. But it seemed like that this distinction of labors, this devotion by a certain set of men to the preaching and teaching of the word, to prayer. Now, please do not hear me. Brother Tim is praying and studying the word so I don't have to. You better study the word and you better pray so I can, okay? Okay, so you'll know that I'm rightly dividing the word of truth. And so again, what happened? The church grew. That, that this allowed the God-ordained function of the church to work and the gospel was preached and people were saved and the church grew greatly, okay? So that's kind of the transition point from speaking about the uh, Deacons, as we did last week, the Bible is just as sober about the qualifications of deacon. In fact, you don't really find a lot of difference in terms of the character of the individual that the Bible mandates for deacon versus the elder. Okay, <clears throat> And so let's talk first of all, as we go back to our text, 1 Timothy 3, if you want to flip back there. The word that Paul uses here is the word uh, overseer, which is the translation of the Greek episkopos. So let's kind of begin here and talk about our, our terms. The elders of the church throughout the New Testament are identified with three different terms, okay, that refer to one office. I've spoken of elders. The Greek is presbyteros. And you recognize the Presbyterian denomination. They, have, they are named Presbyterians primarily because of their emphasis on uh, plural eldership within their church and the way their churches are governed, okay? And so uh, the word elder does have to do many times. I mean, sometimes the, the Greek presbyteros is simply used to describe an older person. But it says something about the, the uh, respectfulness of the person, uh, the, the, actual, the maturity, uh, the actual age uh, of the person who holds uh, the office, the dignity and the, the respect that should be directed uh, toward the one who holds that office. Then the word that, that Paul employs here, uh, bishop, overseer, episkopos, you see another denomination that takes its name from that, the Episcopalians, okay, uh, the Church of England, the Anglicans. Uh, many times referred to in the United States as Episcopalians. And again, uh, the, now 
the way they function is they have overseers from outside of the church that have some say-so in the affairs of a local church. One thing that distinguishes Baptists is we believe in what's called the, lo the auto autonomy of the local church. As I've told you many times before, nobody from the Birmingham Baptist Association, nobody from Montgomery, the State Baptist Association, nobody from National, uh, Nashville, the Southern Baptist Convention, can come, out, come in here and tell us to do anything. They have absolutely zero authority in this congregation. This congregation has the ultimate and final authority, uh, at least at this horizontal level. Who has the final authority in this church? God. God. Okay? But, so, uh, but biblically speaking, the same office is referred to as elder, as bishop, and again, the work being that of the oversight of the church. And then the third term is that of pastor, which is literally shepherd. You see that Greek there, poimen. And again, uh, if you ask me uh, what do you want to be called, I've often said, well, Tim has worked pretty well for 61 and a half years, and that's fine. Uh, several people over the years have objected to, to that, and I, I get that. It's not that I want to be placed on any kind of, of pedestal, but uh, I like the idea of pastoring. I like the term pastor. I think that's a good term. I think it's a strong term. I think it informs uh, what the work is to be, and that is to shepherd the flock of God as a what? Under shepherd, as one who will give an account to the chief shepherd, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, And so uh, that teaches me that I am to uh, lead and to feed and protect the people of God. So you have the one who leads in the church is an elder, which is has to do with the dignity of, of the role, and it's a dignified uh, work. Uh, you have the word bishop, which carries with it the idea of oversight, to oversee the things that are going on uh, within the church, and then pastor uh, the idea of shepherding and leading and nurturing and protecting uh, the flock of God. One of the things that, and I've, I've, I've preached about this any number of times over, over the last 20 years, I always think that the congregation is going to sit there and say, well, Tim's really being self-serving. He's, he's, kind of, he's trying to feather his own nest there, okay? And uh, you read the Word of God. And just like in every other sermon I've ever preached, if I'm wrong, tell me. You know, uh, uh, yes, I've, I've been called to lead uh, the church. But you're as responsible for the, what I lead, the way I lead and what I teach as I am, in a sense. Okay? So don't let me lead you astray. So one of the things that makes it difficult is, again, the, the fear of being self-serving. But the second thing that makes it difficult, many of us here are baby boomers. And I grew up in the 60s when all authority must be rebelled against and or rejected. All authority was evil. And then I lived through what we remember as the Watergate scandal, which only codified and ingrained in my generation that if they're in charge, they must be corrupt. They must be incompetent. They must be evil. And, folks, that is deeply ingrained in the culture now, a suspicion of all 
that smacks of authority and leadership, okay? And I recognize that. We all have the problem with that. Again, you just think of it biblically. Part of our sinful disposition is what? You can't tell me what to do. I mean, you, you see that from the youngest child up, that whatever authority there is, I'm going to rebel against it. So, again, that's kind of the overview of elders. Paul says here that it is a noble task. And again, he emphasizes the importance. The saying is trustworthy. In other words, evidently it was something that people had been talking about. It, it, it may have floated around in, a, in, in other ways in terms of conversation. And he's saying when they say that wanting to serve the church as an elder is a good thing, they mean it. It's true. It's, it's a good thing. And so he uses the word or says it this way, if anyone aspires to the office of the overseer, <coughs> excuse me, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires is the idea of reaching out for, seeking this office, because of an inner desire. Something within the individual is motivating them to do what is necessary to prepare to take this role within the church. One of the things that uh, I appreciate about, and I, I do not believe you have to have a seminary education to be a pastor. Don't, don't read what I'm saying. But, if you go to a seminary worth its salt, you'll find it to be very hard. Now, I know we've got some teachers in here, and I don't mean to offend, but I did about half of a graduate program uh, in education at Jack State University back when I taught school. And uh, uh, to, to say it was a bit of a cruise would be maybe a bit of an understatement in that I kind of sleptwalked through that, that program. When I got to Beeson Divinity School, uh, I found out they were serious. They wanted me to learn something. I just thought I was just going down there and get a piece of paper and get out of there and go mess up a church somewhere. And so uh, uh, it, it was a whole different ball game. And so um, uh, it's, a, it's a tough road. And I think it's a, maybe rightfully a tough road. It ought to weed out those that aren't serious about it. You ought to hope. And I, I can't tell you how many guys... Uh, that I saw drop out of seminary. It's like, ah, I can't do this. I can't do this. And so, you, you, something within you drives you to begin the work of preparation, both intellectually and spiritually, to serve in, 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 in that role. And I think the idea of desire, I, I struck, I, just a little personal story, and, and, and I say this, and I say it to be funny sometimes, but it's really serious, and you've heard me talk about kind of the church I grew up in. Uh, I didn't like preachers very much, and I sure didn't want to be one, and uh, I, I say that with the most seriousness you can imagine, um, and certainly as I began to sense what God was doing in my life, my first thought was I'm not good enough, that no. Uh, that, you know, you got to be kidding me. 
and certainly wasn't in the right place in life in terms of uh, finances and family and, and, and so forth and so on. But I never will forget hearing the man that y'all know is my favorite preacher, John MacArthur, comment on Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Now, folks, that is not a health and wealth verse. That doesn't mean if you sit there this afternoon and look at the picture of a Mercedes-Benz long enough that God will give you a Mercedes. Or if you look at a, a house down on the beach, you know, and you look at that house on the beach long enough that God will give you that house. That's not what it means. It means if you seriously love God with all of your heart and you desire to please Him, God is going to place a different set of desires on your heart. It has nothing to do with earthly temporal possessions and pleasures it has to do with the things that please God and as I listened to him unpack that I thought oh shoot okay now here we go and so I began it took a listen it took a lot of effort to get my family from Somerville Georgia to beautiful downtown Birmingham Alabama okay and 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 I'm not in some ways, I was a pretty big risk taker in, in business and stuff, but in a lot of things, I play it very close to the vest. And I look back now, and I, I can only say that it was by the grace of God that everything worked out as it did, that, it, that we didn't bankrupt uh, while, while going to seminary and the whole nine yards. And so it's something that is vigorously pursued, not in a political backstabbing sense, but in a preparing for God to use you since doing what is necessary to step up into that, to that role. And so aspiring to the office, and then the idea of called to, to the office. Um, it, again, the, this whole idea that, that, that God won't let you rest until you yield to, to his, his will. I had a friend of mine years ago that, Went through a period of time where he thought he might be called to ministry. In fact, I've got a little book on my shelf in there. The title is, Am I Called? Again, examining, particularly for young people. Is this what God wants me to do? And I never will forget the advice of, of an older pastor that, that counseled him. And he simply said, if you can do anything else, go do it. And I, I've gone back and forth on that advice over, over the years in that... Um, you know, if, if there is a godly young man and, and he's intelligent, what better thing could you say than, than study Scripture and prepare to serve God in, in the church? Uh, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll stand by that. That's, that's good advice. But there's also the sense that nothing else will satisfy. There's no other vocation that I can enter into that I'm going to be satisfied, that, that I, I'm going to be wasting my life and the gifts that God has given to me and, and the, the circumstances of my life that God has used to, to shape me if I don't answer this, this call. And so you can, you'll have to decide for yourself if that's good advice, but there's some truth to it. If there's something else and, God, and, and you're satisfied and you're serving the Lord in that work, whatever it is, and you're at, you're at peace with yourself and you, you're at peace with God and you're serving God, then do it. And again, that's one of the great things about the Reformation, that you can glorify God as a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker. It's absolutely fine to do those things. But if God won't let you rest, then maybe he has placed this call upon you. So aspiring and called, 
and then selected. We went. We did something last Sunday after church, and uh, I, I uh, spoke with, with Brian Stanley this week and told him there were quite a few giggles and, and people actually questioned my sanity uh, after our service last week. But it is normative before you can enter a seminary for a church and others to recommend you. And so you may think you're qualified to be an elder, but if the church doesn't think you are, guess what? You ought to think about whether you're qualified to be an elder or not. Okay? You see what I'm saying? That, 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 that the way churches have worked this is the church needs to affirm, I see the evidence of the godly character. I see the evidence of the, of the giftedness in the young man's life. And on and on it goes. And we affirm that he should be preparing and training and, and working within uh, the role. And so if anyone reaches out and desires to, to prepare, if he desires it with all of his heart to do this work, it's a, no, it's a good thing. It is a noble task. It is a thing by which we can honor God. It is a thing that will serve to strengthen uh, the church. And so it is a good thing. It is a, a desirous thing to serve God in this capacity. And then Paul moves from that to this area of the character of the elder. Uh, we'll talk some about, about the work of the elder and so forth. But this may be the most crucial thing that he says to us uh, regarding uh, the elder is the church should take the criteria that's outlined in Scripture here and they should assure themselves that those that hold the office of elder within the church, they meet the qualifications. They meet the qualifications. Now, let me back off of that for one second. If, you're, if you look at this and your first reaction is, man, I ought to be a preacher or a deacon at least. I, I, I got this stuff down. Well, trust me, you're not qualified for any of it. In that, the fir at first glance, it ought to buckle your knees. Me of all people, I am absolutely unqualified. And I'm being called to a work that I am absolutely unable to do. And again, one of the things I told the search committee is you're calling me. Here's the things you want me to do. You want me to care for people. You want me to lead your church. Uh, you want me to grow the church. You want, you want people to be saved, and I can't do one, I can't do a single one of them. Not in in and of myself. I'm completely incapable of all of those things. And so, uh, you look at the character of the individual. First of all, the person who has oversight. Look there at verse two. Must be above reproach. That there should be no obvious flaws in his character, in his behavior. That would immediately call into question whether or not he should serve in that role. Again, this would include personal conduct, financial conduct. All of these different things are legitimate things to think about in terms of uh, a person serving as an elder, overseer, uh, pastor. Be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Again, committed to one woman. Now, I'm not going to devolve into the arguments to whether those who are divorced can serve as an elder or not. Um, 
again, given kind of the legalism that I, I grew up with, uh, certainly they took great pride in making sure that uh, a divorced man could never serve as uh, a pastor and, or deacon. And, uh, you know, I, I, the way this is phrased, it, it really means one woman man, a man that is married and devoted to that woman. He not, does not have a roving eye, completely devoted to her. Sober-minded takes the work seriously. Now, uh, I guess of all people, maybe you look at me, Tim Evans, sober-minded. I, I do like to have a laugh every once in a while. And uh, I've been known to poke more than just a little fun. Some people would say too much fun uh, sometimes. Uh, but I also tell people, I said, and tell you what, when it comes to the work, I'm dead dog serious. That when it comes to the truth, when it comes to caring for your soul, I'm very serious. I'm very serious. And, and uh, I try not to take myself too seriously. And uh, so, uh, again, uh, a sober way of thinking about life. Uh, I'm not a pessimist by, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I expect uh, for life to have a certain amount of happiness and joy in it uh, to varying degrees and varying, varying seasons. But, but as I tell people all the time, life is tough. You don't get to, uh, you know, six, you, don't, you don't live out six decades without having been bumped and bruised along the way. And life has its own way of sobering you up, of seeing others suffering, experience suffering for yourself. And so uh, there is a legitimate sobriety. Some of the goofiness that I hear of and occasionally see on different things uh, that go on in the church just kind of more than irks me because it's not a silly business. Self-control. Now this uh, would include the tongue. It would include habits, whether it's related to alcohol or, or food or drugs or any of those types of things. Um, entertainment. Uh, it, uh, yeah. I, I hear the, the term, uh, what, wait a minute, what is it? Uh, binge watch. Yeah, binge watch. Uh, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch 43 episodes of, and I can't imagine watching 43 episodes of anything without throwing up. I, I can't think of anything that I like that much. Uh, and so, uh, but again, an appropriate uh, self-control and balance uh, to, uh, to life. Again, respectable, uh, a person that can be uh, admired for the way they live, hospitable. One, one of the things I think that's, that's lost in the modern culture is the opening of the home for guests. We just don't see that much uh, any anymore. People don't invite people into their homes for meals. But uh, as we see over and over again, one of the greatest tools that you have for evangelism is your home, is to invite your unbelieving friends over for a meal. And so you, you, you don't have to beat them over your stick with, you, with the Jesus stick. But, uh, um, but again, a man that doesn't put people off with his manners or lack of manners, or his uh, demeanor, okay? Uh, a man that is, is welcoming uh, when, when he's approached. Able to teach. Now, I'm a, I'll, I'll say more about this later. 
I'm of the opinion that the Bible recognizes two types of elders, uh, those who teach and those who don't. Uh, that uh, there are those that are primarily in the role uh, for oversight of the church, for the leadership in the church, for ruling of the church, and many times they will be uh, lay people uh, that are uh, recognized as, as elders, and then there are those who, whose work is primarily that of preaching and teaching. But all of them, if they're going to be an elder, should uh, be able to communicate the basic doctrine. Uh, not everybody's going to be glib or articulate or well-organized in what they say, but they need to be at least able to defend the faith, to give a reason for the hope uh, that is uh, within them, and to be doctrinally uh, sound. Uh, not a drunkard, again, not, not given uh, to the use of, of alcohol, to the place that uh, uh, they're uh, affected by it. And, and I've said this a million times, and I'll keep saying it. Uh, uh, you know, the church I grew up in, uh, they, they, were, they were real good about making sure nobody slipped off to the Moose Lodge and got no uh, you know, long neck beers, uh, but uh, heaven forbid they'd gossip about you in a heartbeat. So uh, I'd rather have a, a room full of beer drinkers that don't gossip than a bunch of a room full of gossip that don't drink beer. So uh, uh, it's it's not an absolute prohibition on the use of alcohol. I would warn anybody about it. I would warn anybody. Say you need to approach it cautiously. Uh, in fact, I might be able to look at your waistline and say, you know, you have a little problem with substances already. Uh, may, maybe you should leave one of the most addictive qualities known to man. Uh, alone, but that's just me, okay? Not a drunkard. Not violent, but gentle. Not always looking for, for a fight, okay? Not everything's worth fighting about. Pick your battles. Um, uh, doesn't have to be my way every time. I know people don't believe that, but, you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it but, but not, not always spoiling. Now, in, the, in their distinctions, uh, I make sure when, when I preach and teach the Bible, I believe I'm telling you the truth, that I'm, I'm cutting it right, and I will stand and give an account, and you will give an account for what I teach you, okay? There's, there's some mutuality uh, there. And if you come to me and say, well, I didn't like that very much, well, I'd try, I would try not to say it wasn't for you in the first place. It was for God, but I probably wouldn't. I'd say, well, I'm sorry. I, what, what did you not like about it? And then we would have to search the Scriptures. And to be sure, in this fallen world, there are going to be things that we, we're going to disagree upon in, in our study of the Scriptures. That's just the nature of a fallen world. Some of the people I respect most, uh, I have differences with John MacArthur and John Piper and R.C. Sproul, and I admire them greatly, Okay. And that's the way it's going to be that we see Jesus. And then they, he will, Jesus will stand them all up. And just like my friend Bobby Britt, they'll all say, Tim, you were right. And so that's, that's, that's the way it'll be. And so, uh, but, um, um, but again, you, don't, you, don't, you shouldn't be a person just always looking to pick a fight, always looking uh, to quarrel uh, about whatever it is. I, I mean, and, and as I said, I, I, I grew up in a church that was always spoiling for a fight. Somebody was always upset with something. So, again, a, a man that, that is looking 
that, that handles things uh, with gentleness and not looking to fight. Not a lover of money. I'm telling you, in, in this culture and, and, you know, in this process of moving, uh, you know, I've said, you know, moving proves one thing, you got too much stuff. You got too much stuff. And, you know, my friends from Africa would look at my stuff and say, are you even a Christian? Seriously. And I think greed is the besetting American sin, or materialism, you know, kind of an offshoot of, of greed. We love our stuff. We love our stuff. I cannot tell you how much you should own or shouldn't own. Okay? I'm, I'm not, you know, how nice a car or how nice a house or, you know, how many cars or houses you can own. But I know when, when, when they own you, 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 you cross the line. And so, a, a man that is not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And again, the upshot is, if you can't manage a family, you have no business seeking to, to lead within the context of the local church. And so again, he's instructing his children. He's disciplining his children. He's dealing with his, his children in a biblical fashion, not provoking them to anger. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert because there's a danger of conceit and falling into the condemnation of, of the devil. I will occasionally hear of, of testimonies, you know, I, I got saved and called to preach all in the same motion and so forth so on. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to... I think it's wise for a person to have been converted for quite some time before they think about whether or not God is calling to ministry. I, I don't, you know, that, that's just... Again, it, it says what it says. Because immature believers may look at things. One of the things that always concerned me at Beeson Divinity School is uh, I was a very old student by the time I showed up there. I was 37 years old. And um, most of the guys I went to school with were not, not even 25 years old yet. They were just out of undergraduate school. And just in interacting with them, a lot of them were from larger churches, and they saw the real cool youth minister that, showed up right after school, let out on Wednesday afternoon, they'd shoot ball all afternoon, eat a few hot dogs and play a few songs. And have, and they just thought that was a cool way of life. And uh, that's not ministry. And, and many of them washed out that uh, kind of had that view of what ministry is. And so uh, it's something for the mature individual. Um, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Again, there's some sense to, to the world even gets to say so. Um, as to uh, one, of the, one of the things that I'm increasingly uh, cautious about, and this may not be necessarily a moral issue, but whether the food is good or the service is good, I'll leave a tip. I don't know, that, pre that preacher just came in here and he, he stiffed me for the tip. You know, very bad look. Very bad look. Uh, but anyway, but again, uh, go to the golf course. How does your pastor ask, act on the golf course? How does your, how does your pastor out, act, you know, act out in the social world? You ought to know. Good question to ask. Good thing to know. How does he handle his business affairs? Okay. Um, how does he live within the uh, community? Yeah. You know, within the neighborhood, you know, all, all of those things, is he a, a good neighbor? 
Well, that just gets at the area of what the qualifications are. There needs to be a certain amount of maturity, a certain amount of, of, of desire uh, to lead. One, one of the things that just kind of in, in, in life, I, I never wanted to be a professional coach or anything, didn't have the, really the athletic background for, for that, or never thought about it seriously. But uh, my assumption was if you're a coach, you want to be a head coach, that you've got enough get up and go that you want to be the man. You know, and while that can certainly go sideways in, in so many different ways, sometimes men find out, I don't really have the gifts to be a head coach. I'm better off as a position coach or coordinator, things, things like that. But there needs to be a certain kind of drive and aggressiveness to desire to lead a local church. And again, it can be, uh, I've seen it go sideways in dozens of ways, but it certainly can't be a, a lazy, laid-back, we're just kind of drifting along with the cultural streams and whatever the latest dictates from Montgomery and Nashville happen to be. Uh, but somebody that has some sense of, of drive and of will. Well, I want to come back next week. We've looked at the character of the elder. We've looked at the what the office is. And I want to dig a little further into what elders do, uh, the work of the elder, uh, and, and flesh that out a little more. I think it's very important uh, for the life of the church, for, for, for uh, the health of the church, for the function of the church. If we're to, to move forward, if we're to evangelize, and if we're to minister, uh, we need to understand uh, who we are and the roles that God assigns us uh, within this thing we call uh, the body of Christ. So let's pray together and we'll close. Father, thank you uh, for the day you've given us, a day to honor you, to serve you, to uh, glorify your name, to speak of your son, Jesus, uh, to proclaim his gospel. Lord, I pray that your spirit would indeed uh, work among each of us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.